Turn with me to Romans, chapter 16. Romans chapter 16, verses 17 uh, through 20. This is the word of the Lord. Reverently listen to it as I read it to you. Now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned, and turn away from them. For such men are slaves... Not of our Lord Jesus, excuse me, not of our Lord Christ, but of their own appetites. And by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. For the report of your obedience has reached to all. Therefore, I am rejoicing over you, but I want you to be wise in what is good and innocent in what is evil. And the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Amen. Pray pray with me. Lord Jesus, we uh, do need your grace Uh, right now. uh, We need for you to be our preacher, uh, to speak through uh, the sinful instrument up here. But we thank you that you can do so, and you have promised to do so for those who were lawfully called uh, to the office of uh, minister of the gospel. We ask that you would use this passage and its proclamation and to um, make us wiser believers, more discerning, more careful, uh, and ultimately more Christ-like. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Kids, um, <clears throat> I don't know how many of you have ever told a lie before. I hope nobody has, but actually Pastor Mark has. When I was young, I I told quite a few lies, actually. When I was a little boy, I wasn't a Christian, um, so I did lie. And telling lies is a bad thing. It's evil. It's wrong. It's a sin. But it's also problematic if we don't necessarily tell a lie, but if we believe a lie. If somebody tells us a lie and then we believe it, that's also a really um, inappropriate thing. And it can be a sinful thing, too, by the way. Now, most lies that are told by people, if you believe those lies, most lies that you would encounter around uh, uh, a daily 
things you do daily around town. If somebody lies to you, uh, a neighbor, a friend, or a, uh, your, one of your siblings, hope that doesn't happen, but if somebody tells you a lie and you believe it, it's not liable to be dangerous for you. Even though it may be kind of foolish to believe it, or maybe it may be even sinful to believe it, depending on the kind of lie that you're believing. But kids, there are lies that, if you believe them, can destroy your soul. They can destroy your soul and land you in hell forever. And this passage that we're looking at today is a warning from the Lord through the Apostle Paul to the Church of the Romans and indeed to all churches down through the ages that read Paul's Gospel here. This section is a warning to believers not to believe uh, false teaching, which is to say lies that are presented as teaching. And so that's what this passage is about. It's about false teaching and our need to flee from it. There are uh, two points that I'm going to make from this passage that are found in it, essentially. One is this. Because the exalted Christ loves his church, he commands us, we being the church, to avoid those who teach false doctrine. And secondly, we're going to see, uh, especially in verse 20, uh, the teaching that because the exalted Christ loves his church, he promises uh, those of us who are members of it that he will destroy the father of those who teach false doctrine. So, first, we learn, uh, and we are taught in this passage, that Jesus, as the head of the church, commands us to avoid those who teach false doctrine. Uh, And that's found in verse 17. Uh, Now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned. And then he says, and turn away from them. It's a command. Turn away from them. Those who are teaching something contrary to what the teaching that you have learned, in other words, from me, Paul. Um, And so there we have that uh, commandment. Now, the logic involved in in this this warning and this commandment to stay away from listening to such things is that Christ, who is the head of the church, um, uh, excuse me, the church, rather, that is Christ's, is damaged by false doctrine when it is proclaimed because false doctrine injures and in some cases actually destroys the souls of the members of his church. And Jesus loves his church, his bride, with an uh, indescribably deep love, collectively and individually. And because he loves us so, he is very protective of us and desirous of our spiritual well-being, all of us. And we are uh, uh, among the members of that church that for whom he died, uh, or for which he died, and this is why he commands us to flee from those who would seek to damage us spiritually, uh, or even destroy us spiritually, and that is those who teach false doctrine. 
Well, what were the false teachers whom Paul was warning the Roman Christians uh, about? What were they teaching? Well, the truth is we don't know for sure what they were teaching. We can speculate, and I'll just briefly do so. They may have been libertines, or libertines, depending on who you talk to. Um, And they could have been libertines who essentially believe that Christians are allowed to do anything at all, even if it is sinful, since... uh, they are forgiven by Christ, uh, and therefore, in essence, essentially, uh, for, the grace of God in Christ is a license for them to sin. Uh, they might not put it in so many words, but the truth is that is very in fact that is in fact what they teach. And um, so, they could have been libertines. Now, Paul says in verse eighteen that these men, uh, he says, are slaves, not of our Lord. Christ, but of their own appetites. And this is one of the reasons why some commentators believe uh, uh, that, that he's talking about libertines, that this is, uh, uh, this is who he has in mind, because these, these false teachers serve their own appetites, or actually it uh, can be translated bellies uh, in the Greek. Now this could mean that they were preoccupied with their own fleshly lusts with satisfying their fleshly lusts, their appetites uh, uh, for food and for sexual pleasure and for uh, ego uh, fulfillment and so on and so forth. Um, However, it could mean, that phrase, um, uh, they're slaves of their own appetites, could mean that simply that they were promoting their own notions of what it means to be right with God and what it means to be in a relationship with God, rather than the truth that Christ himself uh, taught. So it could also mean that as well. It could mean either of those. But, uh, and if, it was, if it's the latter case, if, if their, um, their, um, their problem was they were promoting a false gospel, um, then they were almost certainly, then they were Christian legalists, rather than libertines, kind of the opposite of uh, libertines in some sense. Um, and that, in that which case, it would be the same group that uh, uh, Paul so often condemns elsewhere in his writings, such as in Galatia and other places. Uh, and they would have been, uh, more than likely, Judaizers, uh, because they claimed that a man's acceptance with or rejection by God was based at least in part upon that man's obedience to or, uh, or disobedience to the Mosaic Law, which, of course, uh, it is not. Um, but whichever, whichever is the case, the point is these were false teachers teaching a false message. Um, and Paul says, and God says through Paul, avoid them. Turn away from them. Get away from them. Now why is that so needful for the Christian and the Christian community? Well, there are a number of reasons that are offered in this passage, five at least, that I'm going to mention. Um, why it is so important that we do this, that we turn away from false teaching and and, uh, stay away from it and flee from it if we encounter it. First reason is this, because uh, false teachers cause dissension among believers. Verse 17, he mentions that, that these men were, keep an eye on those who cause dissensions or Divisions, debate, uh, not debates, but divisions within or dissension among Christians that cause division. 
this happens when false teachers succeed in convincing some of the members of a local congregation of one or more of their heretical beliefs. And then this emerging group um, uh, of, of uh, people believing this false teaching uh, want to convince those in the church who hold to a biblical view on various matters of the rightness of their newfound beliefs that they have come to believe that are false. And this, of course, is a recipe for disaster in a local congregation or even a denomination. And countless church, churches and congregations down through the centuries have been damaged or destroyed as a result of unbiblical teaching that has caught on uh, among some portion of its membership. And this includes Presbyterian and Reformed churches. Just by way of example, some unbiblical and heretical teachings that have been that have caused division in Presbyterian and Reformed churches include uh, modernism uh, in the early 20th century. That includes the the uh, espousal of theistic evolution, which is an unbiblical, uh, cannot be reconciled with the Bible um, uh, teaching. Uh, other teachings, false teachings, are that the Bible is fallible, uh, that it has uh, can have mistakes in it, and may have or does have mistakes in it, and we need to decide what is true and what is not um, ourselves. The notion that uh, the miraculous gifts have uh, continued um, uh, that has caused similar damage in uh, uh, reformed circles in times and places past. Women officers, advocation of women officers in the church is another false heretical teaching that is trying to get a foothold even in our denomination right now uh, with the push for women deacons. Uh, And it's clear in scripture, as I made the point a few weeks ago, last week I believe it was, that uh, that is simply not a biblical teaching. Uh, And then others, uh, whatever is forbidden in worship is permissible, uh, which we are confident the Bible does not teach, and yet there are many that do believe that and try to push that view and have damaged Presbyterian or Reformed churches in the process. Uh, so, so it causes dissension. That's one reason why it's important to stay away from um, false teachers. Another reason that is offered in this text is because uh, false teachers create hindrances for believers. Uh, that's the other word that he uses there in verse 17. Dissensions and hindrances or obstacles. So these would include uh, obstacles to correctly understanding the scriptures. Uh, when uh, one false teaching tends to beget other false teachings uh, and produce uh, perverted uh, uh, interpretations of other passages. Um, other hindrances would include doubts about what constitutes the biblical truth. Because uh, if somebody's trying to convince you that what you've been taught is uh, about the Bible is not what the Bible teaches, uh, it confuses people, causes doubts in their minds uh, about the scriptures themselves. Uh, other hindrances would include that of harmonious fellowship with one another. That is harmed when uh, false teaching begins to take hold in a corporate body of believers. And then doubts about the wisdom and trustworthiness of one's spiritual leaders that Christ has placed uh, over you uh, in uh, the congregation as well. Obstacles, hindrances, uh, 
that spiritually affect in an adverse way the believer and the believing community. A third reason false teachers should be studiously avoided is because they deceive the mind of naive uh, and uh, spiritually immature folks in the church. 18 speaks of this in the latter part of the verse. And by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. Again, unsuspecting, naive, those who aren't uh, see who don't uh, see it coming because they're not uh, careful or uh, or uh, discerning enough to see what is happening. Uh, so they deceive the minds of the unsuspecting. Uh, they do it by their smooth talk and by their flattering speech. Not too long ago, I had the distinct displeasure uh, to watch on television briefly uh, Kenneth Copeland and. Some of you know my feelings on this. I think he looks demon-possessed to me, and I suspect he is. And uh, he was uh, in a gazebo out in this uh, birds chirping and the lovely flowers in the background, and he was there with his Bible and his coffee, and uh, I think his wife was next to him there. And he was sitting there waxing eloquently um, and smooth as silk, and it was devilish. It's just devilish. Others uh, on that you see on television, sadly, many of them likewise, very smooth, very, very um, good speakers, excellent speakers, able to draw people in by the tone of their voice and by their uh, by their gestures and their expressions, and yet they are. Um, a trap. And flattering speech is another thing that uh, deceives the minds of the the unsuspecting. If you've ever listened to a liberal Christian, not political liberal, but a a spiritual liberal preach, this is very often what you'll hear is flattering speech. They frequently remind their listeners of how wonderful they are. And how, how, how lucky God is to have you as a, as a friend. That kind of nonsense, which is what I heard growing up. Flattering speech deceives, pulls people away from biblical truth and from Christ. And to the soul of the naive, both smooth talk and flattering speech tastes like honey, spiritually speaking, but has the effect of ingesting poison. A a fourth reason why it is so important that we flee from false teachers is because they serve a different master than we do. False teachers are tools of the evil one. They are uh, children of Satan. Uh, Satan is referenced uh, finally in verse 20, uh, but uh, uh, you understand that the whole section is about Satan's desires uh, to... uh, harm Christ's church through these men. Uh, and their, their father is the father of lies, Satan himself. Believers, are our master is the king of kings. And that, of course, is uh, the evil one's archenemy. And so we serve different masters. And then finally, final reason why it's important that we flee uh, from uh, 
false teachers is because of the damage that listening to them could do to the church's witness in the world. I get this from verse 19. Look at verse 19. So in 18, he'd spoken about, uh, about these men and their appetites and uh, how they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. And then he says in verse 19, 4, so that's a connective with what he's just been saying, for, and it seems a little odd at first, for the report of your obedience has reached uh, to all. Almost seems like a different subject. What, why is he now talking about the Roman Christian's obedience? And then he says, therefore I am rejoicing over you, but I want you to be wise in what is good and innocent in what is evil. He's warning them there. He's saying, in effect, one of the reasons why you Roman Christians need to avoid false teachers is because of the the damaging effect that listening to them uh, and worse yet embracing what they have to say would have on your church's reputation for obedience to the Master and fidelity to the Master. You have this reputation for being obedient uh, as a as a as a body of believers of uh, of being faithful, and that reputation will be destroyed, damaged or destroyed if you listen to these um, these deceivers who are these false teachers. Um, our own reputation here at this church would be irreparably damaged by. Uh, those whose opinions are important to us, I should say that, um, if we were to invite Joel Olstein to be a conference speaker here. Right, exactly. Out the window would go our reputation for fidelity to the Scriptures. You get the point. There are many reasons, um, all of which are serious, why we must avoid such teachers. How do we treat such teachers in addition to uh, not listening to them? Well, first of all, we need to look out for them. Verse 17, now I urge you, brethren, so he's talking to the whole church, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances. This is why I occasionally look at Benny Hinn, or look at Kenneth Copeland, or look at Jesse Duplantis, or Joel Osteen. Um, Hard as it is sometimes. Um, We need to keep our eye on these folks. We need to know who they are so that we may stay away from them and warn others to stay away from them. We must not stick our heads in the sand. Uh, Some subjects you can get away with that. Technology, I just as soon stick my head in the sand. But uh, not when it comes to this. Secondly, in addition to knowing who they are, looking out for them, we should studiously avoid their fellowship and, of course, what they have to say. Um, speaking of avoiding fellowship, I know of a, I know a story of a PCA pastor who, uh, who was invited to what he thought was an evangelical minister's prayer meeting made up of uh, what he thought was Bible-believing uh, ministers. Um, and when he got there, uh, and they were about to start praying as a group, he learned that there was a, I won't tell you 
uh, which, which group this is, but he learned that there was a group of um, uh, heretical believing, uh, uh, there was a minister there who was from a heretical believing group that wants everybody to believe they're Christian and would tell you they are Christian. And yet uh, this pastor, uh, and this pastor was a head, was a head pastor in one of those churches. And this, this PCA pastor uh, excused himself from the meeting by saying uh, to the crowd that he was unable in good conscience to pray with a false teacher. It takes courage to do that in, in a group like that. Um, and yet it was the right thing to do. He needed to get out of there and not associate with such a one. And he needed to, by doing that, he was able to warn others that were present there of the dangers of this man and what he stood for uh, and consider their own uh, interactions with him themselves. Now, while we should uh, studiously avoid fellowship with such spiritual leaders and interaction with such spiritual leaders and should shun them, I'm not necessarily saying, don't want to necessarily say that we should shun uh, immediately, at least, lay people who have bought into certain heretical teachings. Uh, We need to shun their teachers, and we may eventually need to shun them. But laity who are ill-instructed, who have uh, uh, bought into something, uh, a, a line, if you will, um, they need our help to see the error of what they are believing. Uh, and we don't need to shun them. However, if they remain obstinate uh, after a point in time, perhaps that's appropriate as well. But certainly, they're leaders. Leaders know what they're doing. They know what they're doing. Okay. They know what they're teaching. They know what the Bible says and what they, what they uh, teach. And... Um, they are dangerous and need to be avoided. Also, in addition to identifying who they are and avoiding their fellowship and certainly uh, listening to their teaching on any uh, kind of a basis, a regular basis that, with interest, church should discipline them. Churches should discipline them if they are members of it uh, or if they are, yeah, if they are members of it. Uh, they should expel them from the ministry if they are pastors defrock them, and they should be excommunicated from the church if they do not quickly and unreservedly repent of their heretical teachings. This is what should happen. This is almost what never happens. Uh, It's a sad state of affairs in American Christendom right now uh, because, and much of the blame has to do with the fact that American Christian churches do not practice church discipline. It's too politically incorrect. It's too messy. It's too uh, difficult, time-consuming, uh, fraught with um, potential minefields. And so churches just don't do it. But this is what should be done to such false teachers, including in the PCA. We may be doing it soon in our own denomination. Uh, perhaps at the next General Assembly. So, because the exalted Christ loves his church, he commands us to avoid 
those who teach false doctrine. But also, we learn this from verse 20, because the exalted Christ loves his church, he promises us that he will destroy the father of those who teach false doctrine. Verse 20, And the God of peace, interesting, the God of peace, will soon crush, peace and crush in the same sentence. Uh, I find that intriguing. Um, And there's no contradiction there at all. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your, meaning under the feet of uh, the believing community. Satan, as I've already said, is the father of lies, and he's the father of such uh, false teachers, men or women. Uh, he is the one they serve, whether they acknowledge that or not. None of them would want to acknowledge that, of course. They would all deny it uh, vehemently. No, 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 no. I, I love Jesus. Uh, and yet, the truth is, they serve Satan, the evil one. He is the one whose undoing is foretold by God, was foretold by God in the garden when he spoke uh, after the fall uh, of his intention uh, of the fact that Satan would, uh, or that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent, um, even as the serpent would bruise that seed on the heel, referencing the cryptically the the uh, death of Christ, but also Christ's conquest in that death over Satan and his power. Uh, and so Satan is the father of the, of the false uh, teachers. And um, we are told in that Genesis passage that I just quoted that Satan um, would be crushed. Has he been crushed? Well, the answer is yes and no. Yes, he has been crushed in the sense that his ultimate doom, doom uh, in the lake of fire uh, has been sealed and is uh, absolutely assured. There is no question that he will suffer that final fate. It is an accomplished fact, just awaits the passage of time before it comes, uh, comes to be uh, experientially for him. God has already judged him. Uh, and pronounced sentence upon him. We read over in John's Gospel, chapter 16, verses 7 through 11, the following. But I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper, this is Jesus, of course, speaking, the Helper shall not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, and concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you no longer behold me, and concerning judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. His hands, if you will, uh, have been bound, Satan's have, so to speak anyway, as a result of Christ's victory over sin and death and over the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Mark, in his gospel, uh, uh, records this. I believe the, uh, the words of Christ speaking. No, it's the words of Mark. Chapter 3. Hold on here. 
I did have my place. There we go. Chapter 3, verse 22 and following, we read this. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebul, and he casts out the demons by the ruler of the demons. And he called them to himself and began speaking to them in parables. And here's the parable. How can Satan cast out Satan? And if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but he is finished. But no one can enter the strong man's house and plunder his property unless he first binds the strong man, and then he will plunder his house. I'll leave, I'll, I'll, I won't read the rest of it right now, but you get the point. The strong man is Satan, and Satan, clearly by that passage, Jesus is foretelling that uh, Satan will be bound, and the reference there is to the time when he completes his atoning work after his resurrection uh, and ascension from the dead. That Satan would be bound, the strong man would be bound, and then Jesus would plunder Satan's house, or household, by stealing uh, those that were his children away and adopting them into his own holy family. And Satan has been driven from the uh, position of power that he exercised over the world. Uh, we read of this over in Luke chapter 10, verses 17 and 18, where it says, And the seventy returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Uh, a reference to his fall from that position of power and influence that he possessed prior to the coming of Christ uh, to complete his atoning work. Satan has been crushed, yes. But there is also a sense in which, no, not fully. Satan has not fully been crushed in that his head has not been completely crushed by the full weight, uh, the full impact of Christ's victory at the cross. He still does roam about on the earth, as we read in Peter's letter, like a prowling lion looking for souls whom he can devour. And so, that has not ended yet. There's a further crushing that needs to be uh, brought about and will be brought about by our Savior over the Father of lies. And that sentence, when will it be uh, uh, that God pronounced against him in the court of heaven, when will that be fully uh, carried out? In other words, when will Satan feel the full weight of God's wrath against him? And that, of course, is at the second coming of Christ. When our Savior returns in the glory of his Father with his holy angels in flaming fire on that last day. And this final crushing, how will it take place? We are told in Revelation chapter 20, where we read, starting in verse 7, reading through verse 10, 
that well-known passage. And when the thousand years were completed, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together for the war. The number of them is like the sand of the seashore. And they came up on a broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city. And fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are also, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord for that. Satan's doom is assured. So what is the significance of this promise that uh, Satan has been dealt with and will be fully dealt with on the last day when Christ returns? What's the significance of that for you and for me? Well, it depends on whether or not you are a Christian or a non-Christian. If you are a Christian, one who is resting in Christ alone, and I hope and believe that most, if not all of you here tonight, are that, um, you are told, uh, uh, we are told as Christians that we are to resist the devil. We are commanded to do so in the book of James. Resist the devil and he will flee from you, we are told. Um, And the fact that Satan has been bound, that uh, he has uh, been uh, undone by the uh, finished work of Christ and awaits his final destruction, uh, that should give you and me confidence in our efforts to resist the devil. He doesn't have the upper hand. We do, in Christ, through Christ knowing that the devil is a vanquished foe whose destiny has been sealed. Also, as Christians, the, this truth, this doctrine, that uh, Satan will be ultimately destroyed, uh, fully destroyed, uh, should give us hope that all of the divisions and all of the dissensions and, that are found within the church across the world will one day come to an end. There will no longer be Baptists and Presbyterians and Methodists and assemblies and Nazarenes. We'll all be on the same page. We'll all be united. And not just uh, um, kind of in a formal way, but in a true way, united uh, on that, uh, when Christ comes on that day. When the, on that day when He, as the God of peace, brings peace finally and crushes the liar and all of his servants. And it also should cause you and me this truth, this promise, to long for the return of Christ. When the devil will get his final comeuppance, will stop plaguing the church, will stop uh, menacing his people, Christ's people, will stop um, fighting against our king, our Savior, our mediator and friend whom we love. If you're a non-Christian, possibly, could be one here tonight, if you're not a Christian, what you need to understand about this promise that Satan will be finally and fully uh, crushed uh, by God uh, under the feet of the church, um, the risen church and resurrected church, 
What you need to understand is the Bible refers to all, uh, to all those who are not trusting in Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. Anybody who's not doing that, which would include you if you're here today and you're not, the Bible refers to such individuals as children of the devil. If you're unconverted and you're here, you're a child of the devil. You belong to him. He is, again, your father. Whether you want to admit that or not is irrelevant. It's true. And this means, if you're a non-Christian, this means that uh, all those who are children of the devil will, if they are not changed, this includes you, suffer the same fate as Satan himself. Unless the non-Christian repents of their unbelief and flees to Jesus in faith to save him from God's wrath. If you have not trusted in Christ as your only hope, you must do so before it's too late. Children, this includes you. You're not too young. None of you here are too young to trust Jesus. That includes you, Tegan. includes you, Bebo. Uh, and I hope you're both already Christians. But if for some reason you don't know Jesus, you can come to Jesus tonight. Just say, Jesus, save me from my sin. And he will. And you don't have to be scared of the devil anymore and what he can do. Because you'll have Jesus as your protector. But you need to flee to him in faith. We all need to flee to him in faith for those who have not done that, who are hearing my voice. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are the one, O oh God, who makes us um, see our need for Jesus and gives us faith to believe in Jesus as our only hope of being forgiven of being reconciled to you, of getting to heaven. Lord, if there is anyone in the sound of my voice, either here or uh, those listening online, who have not yet understood, up to this point in time at least, that Jesus alone can save them, the Jesus who is 100% God and 100% man and the only mediator between God and men, would you please grant the ability to believe that with all his heart. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's close by singing our final hymn. It is 491 in the Psalter hymnal. 491. Jesus, the very thought of thee. Stand and sing this together. Receive now God's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you His peace, both now and forevermore. Amen.